Well, good evening. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Live on this Friday, this Friday evening. Tonight's live stream, we wish to address something which on some level we all deal with. Perhaps not on a daily basis, but on a regular basis, especially those of us on the path, those of us who study, those of us who experience new challenges, new tests, new obstacles. We receive new insights, new information, new revelations, perhaps, whether that's in meditation or just in our daily lives. Perhaps we're reading it in a book. Perhaps we're hearing it in a lecture. Perhaps we're even engaging with it in a live stream. And as we experience these new inputs, these new arrivals in our life of information. We often realize that within us there arises a conflict, a contradiction between that which we thought we knew and the new information which is being presented to us or the new insight that we are receiving or the new experience which is illuminating us to a completely different reality. The discomfort which arises when we are challenged in this way, when our beliefs, our conditioned ideologies, philosophies, or simply reality as we knew it up until that point, is all of a sudden challenged, contradicted by some, let us say, formidable source. Our beliefs are challenged in some formidable way, whatever form that takes. The discomfort we experience in the space between the contradict between the contradiction between the opposing views the opposing set of information the opposing versions of the truth that discomfort is known in contemporary psychology as cognitive dissonance but in esotericism we simply refer to that discomfort as hypnosis. As was the original erroneous belief and the attachment and identification we developed to that belief, to that version of reality in our mind. It is those attachments and identifications which are now threatened by the new information. 
And any time we feel threatened, any time our comfort and security is at risk, we feel discomfort, we feel insecurity. This psychology, modern psychology, calls cognitive dissonance. It is clear that anyone who does not have certain information, does not possess certain knowledge, does not possess gnosis, will, by a matter of course, just by definition, be living in ignorance. And any erroneous beliefs that we have, any conditioned beliefs or hearsay, opinion, theory, abstraction, rationalization, justification, the list goes on and on and on. All of that in the mind constitutes hypnosis that which stands between the consciousness and gnosis gnosis itself self-evident experiential knowledge that which we seek gnosis is so pregnant with power and meaning that it requires two words to describe its antithesis. The state which we are in, if we do not have gnosis, is ignorance and hypnosis. And both of those states are describe a somewhat different orientation of being because we're all ignorant we're all ignorant we're all ignorant of many 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 things many 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 phenomena we're simply ignorant that's not that's not a anything to be ashamed of that's not a negative it's not a put down it's not an insult simply it's simply the the truth all of us myself included many times in preparation for these live streams or if individuals ask us questions on facebook or on youtube we will refer you to gnosticteachings.org or a quote from master samael or a book of Master Samael, because we're no master. We're no master. We're nowhere near being a master. There is much that we don't know. There's much that we're not experts in. And in truth, what we don't know 
is far greater, infinitely larger in quantity than what we do know. And that's just that's just the fact. That we are here giving this live stream is for the simple reason alone that we know what it's like to not know. We know what it's like to be ignorant. We know what it's like to be hypnotized. What's more, we know what it's like to be possessed, to be possessed by fear, to be gripped by anger as fear morphs into anger. And we know the consequences of that. We know just how painful that can be and the suffering that can cause. We're not ignorant of that. That we know. And what we have learned through our experience, wrestling with the demon, facing our fears, wrestling and struggling how quick we are to anger and explode, especially when our freedoms are being challenged as they were yesterday when we had an appointment to go see a nutritionist on behalf of our elderly father whom it has fallen upon us to to take care of and so without getting into details one of his specialists arranged an appointment with a nutritionist to discuss his diet we do a fair bit of the cooking for our father and we do a lot of the shopping as well and so it falls upon us to need to get the information from the nutritionist about in relation to our father's condition what foods to avoid and what foods are relatively safe and upon arrival at the office we were checked for our papers YouTube is very dogmatic in its policing of certain words and certain topics and videos so once again we have to dance around the issue but we're fairly certain all of you understand what the issue is at hand what papers we were told to present and when we couldn't present those papers because we have not fallen prey to the great scam which is the plague the supposed plague and we have not allowed ourselves to be injected with the bioweapon we were told that we would have to leave we could not attend the meeting with the nutritionist our father's other partner 
a caregiver went in our stead. We had to wait in the car. So in that moment, rest assured, rest assured that our old friend reared its ugly head and our old friend of fear our 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 the demon wanted to come out wanted to have his peace wanted to have his day and he's been biding his time for a long time as we've been cooped up here because of the lockdowns here in Canada not having papers we can't go out we can't be free our liberties have been taken from us from a system which pretends to have our best interests at heart so clearly losing that liberty losing that ability to control one's own fate and of course self-preservation in this case was extended to our immediate family member for whom on whose behalf we were there and what we deemed an essential service was being denied to us because of some policy so we know intimately the pain the suffering the burning of living with egos of living with our demons and and how the world we live in is constantly testing and challenging us to face our demons that we know we are not ignorant of that that is one thing that we are not ignorant of and because we are not ignorant of it because we are so aware and intimately knowledgeable of that pain and that suffering that egos create and the hypnosis and ignorance that egos cause in us and in others in everyone without exception that is why we are here and that is why we do these live streams not to talk about that which we don't know anything about not to talk about that which we are ignorant of and not to claim to be masters and experts and theologians and we are none of that we are none of that we are ignorant on many 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 levels but the knowledge that we have the knowledge that we've gained through as we've said in previous live stream streams through 40 years wandering in the desert and the progress which we've made our journey isn't over yet we're nowhere near our potential we are much like you are still suffering and struggling along the path just as we said yesterday 
was one of those moments when it became clear to us just how much more work is left for us to do. But if through our experience and through our capacity to speak and be a messenger and a vessel for our innermost and for the logos, for this, for what we know our experience on dealing and fighting egos and overcoming hypnosis and overcoming ignorance and overcoming the causes of suffering. We have, we are maybe a step or two ahead on the path. But just as when you're climbing a mountain, if someone is a step or two above It is most appropriate for them to reach down a helping hand. That's all we're doing. So if through our experience battling a demon, this epilepsy, which we've talked about often, this fear at, a, at, at such a level and still somehow manage to function and get it under control and get our seizures under control. And if, if, if our battle at that level and the knowledge that we've gained battling fear, for example, at that level, with that intensity and that strength and that power, what we learned through that struggle Surely, it falls upon us to share what we have learned, to help yourself and others deal with the ego of fear at whatever level that you deal with it at. Just as we have to turn to others, to masters, to others who have walked different paths with different experiences, with help that we have yet, that we are ignorant of. Ignorance then is universal. We are all ignorant. Seeing that, knowing that, acknowledging that, and forgiving ourselves for that. Affords us a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous potential. And we are already two steps ahead of anyone else. On the one hand, we recognize and we accept, we embrace our ignorance. That opens us up. It opens our hearts. It opens our minds. It opens our consciousness. Like a big net 
like the petals on a sunflower. And we turn towards the light with the longing and the hunger of our soul to be filled with the truth, to be filled with knowledge, and to be cured of our ignorance. One who fails to accept or recognize or acknowledge their ignorance, one who fails or refuses to accept the truth, of the disease of ignorance that they are suffering from cannot be cured of the disease. Because they believe that they know. And the comfort and security of their beliefs give them their sense of self, their sense of being. They reject, they've masked their ignorance. They've masked their ignorance under layers and layers and layers and layers of belief, of intellectualism, of conditioning, of tradition, of culture, of family, of you name it. The ego mind can create. Do all of you know what a gobstopper is? That, that uh, multi-layered candy that can be like enormous, large, and you pop it in your mouth and you, you have to suck on it for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to get to the core. If you've watched our video on belief, you know that this is the nature of belief. Somewhere in there is a kernel of truth, and upon that kernel of truth are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of hard candy that cannot be bitten through. You will, you will crack your molars before you crack the candy in one of these, before you crack the shell in one of these candies. And so cognitive dissonance flows out of that, out of that failure to recognize that we're sick. We're suffering from a disease. That disease is called ignorance. But again, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's nothing to braid ourselves over. And it's, and it's nothing... It simply is. Because ignorance is, for us, in many ways, like lack of physical strength is to a child. A child is not an adult. A child who is, especially one who has not yet hit puberty, man or woman, the child simply does not have the, the, the musculature to have the kind of physical strength of an adult. Do we call that a disease? No, we wouldn't call that a disease, but we would call that child undeveloped. 
That child is still growing. That child is still developing. The child has yet to mature. And we know that if that child doesn't develop, doesn't mature, doesn't grow and take on the characteristics of a fully developed adult, then we say of that child, that child is developmentally challenged. That child is diseased. You see where we're going with this? Our ignorance is a disease to us as the developmentally as the strength is to a development to a developmentally challenged child who hits puberty but doesn't but doesn't develop hits adulthood but still has the features the musculature the size the stature of a child something along the line didn't click all of us our consciousness our the level of gnosis the potential knowledge that awaits us as a true human being awake knowing ourselves, that potential represents our development as we are as an intellectual animal with our consciousness asleep we are diseased we are developmentally challenged we won't use the r word but because that but that's the that's what the r word actually means it means blocked it doesn't mean stupid it doesn't mean idiot it doesn't mean any of those things it simply means blocked obstructed that's what retarded means developmentally challenged is just a euphemism for retarded so mentally retarded was never an insult it would never me meant that someone was stupid it simply meant that their mental acuity their mental faculties were not developed they were retarded they were blocked they were obstructed in some way this humanity we say it's asleep but we could say this humanity is consciously retarded we could say it's gnostically retarded and that's what ignorance is And so, even though 
at a certain level, for example, we would say of animals, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say animals are ignorant. They are as conscious as they need to be at the level that they are at. They are innocent and they're animals. A lion needs enough consciousness to fulfill his lioness. It's an interesting pun because that happens to be a lioness. <laughs> Cats are much more conscious than most other animals, we could say, especially black cats. And if you ever owned a black cat, you probably know that intimately. We wouldn't necessarily call cats ignorant or ants ignorant, although ants are a devolving species, so it's probably not the best example. But the point we're making is, in nature, everything has the appropriate level of consciousness and the appropriate knowledge necessary to fulfill its duties at that level. This humanity does not. A human being is supposed to be conscious. So a humanity which is unconscious, a humanity which is asleep, that humanity is diseased. That humanity is fallen, fallen asleep. It's, it, they're, they're not human beings. They're intellectual animals believing that they're human, calling themselves human, but erroneously. They're ignorant. They're ignorant of the fact that they're ignorant. Just as many of us were before we began this journey, this path. We were all ignorant. And, and just as all of us still are, no matter how much we know or how much we think we know or how far we've come on the path, myself included, this is why we began tonight's live stream as we did. We are not perfect, we are not flawless, we are nowhere near the potential that we have, and we're nowhere near finishing the journey that we're on. There is so much more out there that we cannot even begin to contemplate let alone conceptualize, grasp. And we're not just talking about the physical universe. We're not even just we're not even talking about the higher planes, the internal the internal worlds. There is just we are ignorant of so much, all of us, myself included. But recognizing the disease recognizing the developmental challenges that we have, the retardation on the level of gnosis, on the level of consciousness. That, again, 
once you accept you have a disease, an illness, you open yourself to the cure. If you refuse to accept the disease, you cannot be cured. It is simple as that. So, that is the first way that accepting ourselves as we are, objectively, re the reality of where we are at, and the level of our being, and how the level of our ignorance pl plays into that. That affords us that first benefit that so many do not have. And we'll get to others later. For, for, for now, let's focus on ourselves. It is useless to talk about the ignorance of others if we are ignorant of our own ignorance. Surely we can all appreciate that. We do not want to go out into the world as hypocrites. We do not want to go out into the world holier than thou. Quite the contrary. And this brings us to the second benefit of looking long and hard at ourselves and our ignorance and accepting that, accepting that we're ignorant. I know nothing because this is one of the most powerful and meaningful voluptuous sources of humility there is no path to radical humility radical humility is the path the path of spirituality the path to the divine is a path of radical humility of stripping away all the pretense of stripping away all the grandiosity the self-aggrandizement the pride the oh so much self-love Yes, we must love ourselves, okay. But within reason. Beyond that, we, we get into narcissism. We get into mystic pride. We get into, I am so this and I am so that and I can do this and I can do that. And if we start, if we start along the path and we start developing powers or we start having experiences, immediately the mind jumps in and says, oh, I must be enlightened now. Oh, I must be having the initiation of this, or the fifth initiation of fire, or the twelfth initiation, or, or I must be the reincarnation of this master or that master. It's, it's there is, There's absolutely no end to how the egos, the ego of mystic pride in particular, wants to take credit for that which it has nothing to do with. There's no end to the misappropriation of experiences and 
insights and knowledge and wisdom and genuine learning and objective information which comes in immediately the ego mind our inner statler and waldorf immediately they begin their editorial process of commenting and and elaborating and rationalizing and justifying and making connections and making conclusions and drawing conclusions and all sorts of machinations whereas the information which was there is just there and it needs to be transformed and received through the consciousness without the interventions and without the the meddling of the mind because if we take an in information in the mind and we give it to the ego mind and say here here's a new bit of information for you to play with all we're going all we're doing is feeding our mystic pride all we're doing is giving the ego mind more lego with which to play its game of hypnosis against us and send us further into ignorance we mentioned this in the last live stream on wednesday when we when we spoke about those gnostics those aspirants who who study endlessly and they've read every book and they can quote master samael or manly p hall or the bible or blavatsky or gi gurdjieff they can quote them like that off by heart and they know all they know pythagoras and they know they know uh, hermes trismegistus and the, the emerald tablets of Toth, and they have they just they've read everything they've consumed it all voraciously with a hunger for knowledge this 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 insatiable hunger for knowledge for truth But they have no gnosis. They have no gnosis. They are the most hypnotized. They are the most ignorant. We've all known the expression book smarts and street smarts. We all know that none of us None of us would ever get into an airplane whose pilot had never logged any airtime. Whose pilot, but that pilot spent the last 40 years of his life studying aerodynamics, studying aerospace engineering reading about airplanes and aircraft and flying technique but this was the first time he was actually flying a plane you wouldn't get in the, into that plane why because he does not know how to fly period 
He can't fly. He doesn't know how to fly. He is completely ignorant when it comes to flying planes. Book smarts, street smarts. Right? Theologian, Gnostic. But if you speak to these individuals, one thing you will discover in very short order, they believe that they know everything. They, they are so filled with, with mystic pride. They are so proud of their esoteric library on the shelf. They, they, they can rhyme off, again, verbatim, what this master said, what that master wrote, when they wrote it, what book it was written in, what language it was written in, et cetera, et cetera, and goes on and on and on and on. Maybe they even study the, the various texts and scriptures in their original language, which means that they've spent additional time and additional effort learning multiple languages just so they could read those scriptures, just so they could memorize those scriptures. Now, are we saying that any of that is a bad thing? Are we saying that studying is a bad thing? That reading scriptures is a bad thing? No, we're not saying that at all. What we are saying is that it is not a substitute for doing the work and walking the path. And that reading scriptures does not alleviate ignorance. especially if you're just feeding the intellect, the ego mind with those scriptures, if you're just digesting them with the ego, with the ego mind, if you're not transforming them, if you're not meditating on them, if you're not digesting the essence of those scriptures, the essential truths of the symbols and allegories behind and between the words. This ignorance and hypnosis, as you see, is not as cut and dry as it may first appear or first sound, like, like in this backdrop behind us with all these people and their heads in the sand. It's, this is a humorous backdrop, which we chose because, well, these people are obviously ignorant. That's what that symbol represents. But you can see now, even as you reflect on yourself, how perhaps as you've been studying, as you've been listening to lectures, or you've been reading books, reading scriptures, have you been feeding your soul, like we talked about in a few few uh, streams ago? 
Or have you just been feeding your mind? So, we promised at the outset, at the announcement of tonight's live stream, the very title of tonight's live stream is How Do We Handle Ignorance and Cognitive Dissonance? So how do we handle ignorance and hypnosis? So ignorance, we handle through honesty, self-reflection, knowing ourselves, observing ourselves, accepting our ignorance, acknowledging our ignorance, and the relationship between acknowledgement of our ignorance and humility, an attitude of humility. And how those two things go hand in hand. And again, immediately this will transform, immediately this will transform your progress on the path. You will immediately jump ahead two steps ahead of everybody else who still thinks they know or are still filling their head with memorizing books, memorizing esoteric books or memorizing scriptures or what have you. You will be, you will be that much further ahead than everybody else. Why? Because you recognize how far you have yet to go and how little you know and how insignificant you are. That, ironically, the more you let go and the more humble you become, and the more honest you become, the more open you become, the more receptive you become. If you acknowledge the void within, guess what? Nature abhors a vacuum. And your Divine Mother, she, who, whose mother doesn't relish the opportunity to feed her children? To make a glorious meal for the ones that she loves. Whose grandmother doesn't love baking cookies and making dinner and making these huge spreads for, for, for friends and family and guests? And we've, we've never met a mother. We're not talking about a woman, let's say, just a whatever. No, a mother. We've never met a mother or a grandmother, or a great-grandmother, our great-grandmother, when she was still alive, she could, unbelievable what this little woman could do in her 80s. She could have opened a restaurant. She was unbelievable. And she loved to fill the void, especially when we were teenagers. We would come home from school or we come home from university and you know a bunch of bunch of hungry teen boys and her face would light up 
like a Christmas tree. Why? Because those hungry boys needed to be fed. And there's nothing my great-grandmother relished and loved more than feeding hungry boys. You know, she used to live in South Bend, Indiana, my great-grandmother, and she used to cook in the cafeteria where the Notre Dame University football team came to eat after practice. Talk about a dream job for a woman born in Hungary and whose passion was to give sustenance and show her love for all of all those who, who she knew by cooking for them, by baking for them. Now, if that's true for grandmothers and, and mothers and great-grandmothers, believe us when we say it is infinitely more true for our Divine Mother. But it's not a desire, right? It's not, oh, please, please, please fill me with knowledge, fill me with knowledge, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. No, 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 no. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Create the void inside of you. Clean out, let go the attachments and the identifications with the hypnosis, with the conditioned beliefs, which all the things that you've read and all the things that you think you know, and recognize and identify the vast space, the vacuum of ignorance within you. Develop that humility. Develop that honesty. And you will be in the eyes of your Divine Mother as myself and my friends were in the eyes of my great-grandmother. Hungry and needing to be sustained. Needing to be filled. No one likes to cook for someone who doesn't like to eat. No one. It's That's why if you ever go to someone's house and they offer you some food and you say, no, thank you. In many, 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 many cultures, that's an insult. Well, after a while, you don't prepare anything anymore for such a guest who keeps coming over but never accepts anything. After a while, you stop offering. Is it not true? And not because you're offended, simply because, well, you don't want things to be awkward. You don't want, you don't want to keep offering to someone who keeps saying no. Well, Okay, they don't want anything. They 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 they're full. They're they're not hungry. They're you know, they're on a different diet. They're who knows? They're fasting. Who knows? We might, you know. But you don't keep trying to shove food down someone's throat if they don't 
want to be fed. And so life and our Divine Mother will not deliver unto us Gnosis if we're haughty and we're ignorant of our own ignorance. And we believe we know everything. And we think we know because we've read all the books. And we've listened to all the lectures. The Gnosis will not flow into our lives. Nature abhors a vacuum, but, but nature does not flow into, it can't, it, where there's no space for it to flow into. What you get is the flow of experience of Gnosis, the truth, bashing against our stubbornness and our our thick-headedness. So what you get is like the process, the slow and painful and arduous process of water erosion or wind erosion. And we know what that's like, but it takes years, decades, lifetimes. Why? Because we're always full of ourselves. Our thick heads are conditioning our stubbornness. All of that pride wrapped around an empty core of ignorance. Remember the gobstopper? Well, our Divine Mother is going to keep working at that gobstopper until she slowly wears it down and wears it down and wears it down and wears it down and and reveals the, the core, the ignorance inside. But that is a very, very painful process. And the pain that we experience, the suffering that we experience, is what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Because the only reason why she has to wear us down like that is because we're so stubborn, we have such attachments, we're so identified to what we think we know, we've we've established our sense of self and especially if it's mystic pride we've we've identified and we have defined our beingness we've defined ourselves as a spiritual aspirant as one walking the path on these layers of belief of thinking we know of all the accumulation for example, of all the books that we've read and all the uh, quotes of Master Samael that we can quote, etc., etc. Or all of our psychedelic experiences, which is another good one. All the experiences that we've had under the influence of DMT or psychosyllabin or, or, or all the rest of them. And each time we go on another trip, we come back believing this and believing that and thinking this and thinking that. Because we've been going to the lunar astral plane, 
but we've convinced ourselves that we're traveling the cosmos or we're liberating ourselves of our ego or whatever. And we have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of what we believe to be self-evident experiential knowledge. We believe it to be gnosis because, hey, I experienced it. It's experiential knowledge. Yeah, it's experiential knowledge under the influence, which means it's subjective knowledge. Like hallucinations, like dreams, like anything else, we're being played. And what's, pl what, what's being played on us under the effects of these substances, we believe is, is, is a, a genuine experience. And if we interpret it that way, then we're going to be creating these layers and layers and layers. And you can experience this anytime you wish. You can experience the cognitive dissonance of individuals who are regular users of, of psychedelics. And how, how identified and how attached they are to their use. And how, how angry they get. How incensed they become when they feel that their precious and sacred mushrooms are being attacked. That the veracity and legitimacy of that practice, of that lifestyle, is in question. So again, humility, openness, honesty, seeing ourselves and accepting ourselves objectively, knowing ourselves, really always comes back to that. We're going to scroll back. There's been quite a number of, of uh, comments and we haven't been ignoring them. We've been aware of them. But we felt to at least get through the flow of the first part before we go into the second part. Let's address some of these uh, comments. So <clears throat> we hope we're pronouncing this right. We we want to say Genevieve, but we know it's it's it seems to be spelt Genevieve. Genevieve? Genevieve? To want to stay completely ignorant is a problem. Some people seem to see a feeling of false security in ignorance. Absolutely. Well, that's the hypnosis. That's the hypnosis, the beliefs that are wrapped around the ignorance. And cognitive dissonance, in order to avoid the discomfort and insecurity, the mind doubles down on some belief. So then there is the whole issue around ignorance is bliss. And you've probably heard that expression. And there are many people who take that attitude. Oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to live in my little box. I'm going to live, live in my little bubble. And I don't care to know what's going on around the world or 
in the house next door or down this down the block i i just i just want my my again my comfort and security oh that's quite all right benjamin thank you for the sentiment um Jamie says, Dear Atlas, today my soul felt tired and worn down with intense longings. I have been in Gnosis practicing the three factors, buried, for nearly five years. We're going to assume the next comment is connected, Jamie. But it is like someone placed blinders over me. The lack of light and internal illumination is disheartening, especially when constantly working to self-remember and observe. It never seems to carry over into the astral plane leading to the awakening there. I humbly ask for guidance, especially for anyone else who is in the same situation. We recently did a live stream, which uh, the title of it was Waiting in the Dark. And well, I wish we could pull it up here um yeah we can't actually show you the uh hmm well anyway we'll it's here it's here, Jamie. Um, it's called Waiting in the Dark. It's Atlas Live, episode 28. And in this live stream, we talked about the 40 years in the desert. And we talked about the virtue, which is most useful to us on the path. And that is, the, and that is patience. We also talked about in that live stream, we talked about how in our own experience, we had, in some cases, we had to wait 20 years between spiritual experiences, 20 years. And we also mentioned how our access to our solar astral body was taken away from us. Once we, we had experienced what we needed to, we needed to experience there was taken away from us to say, okay, no more, no more astral playground for you. Focus on where you are. Be here now. Don't worry about the astral plane. The astral plane will take care of itself. The astral plane will be just fine without you. That's what my innermost told me. That cliche, patience is a virtue. That, that exists precisely because of the spiritual path. This is not an easy path, and it's not a 
path of instant gratification. And we don't want to belittle your suffering. We don't want to make light of your suffering. And we don't want to suggest that you haven't been enduring what you have been enduring for a long, long time. But there is a a character who represents an archetype. Oh, that's that's right. This is Here it is. Okay. This is Job. We believe that's Job. It should be Job because this lecture is about Job. The book of Job. And obviously the lecture is called How to Endure Suffering. Whether it's Episode 28, Waiting in the Dark, or this lecture, which you can listen to on audio, or you can read along the transcription. It's from the Path of the Bodhisattva course. The answers you seek may be in that live stream we did or in this lecture. All we can say now in this moment without dedicating the rest of this live stream to this particular issue that you face or to others who face it is be patient. You are not forsaken. None of us are ever forgotten. None of us are ever left behind. It doesn't matter how stuck you feel. It doesn't matter how stagnant, how alone, how in the dark you feel. This too shall pass. And it is very likely that one of the reasons why you're in the situation that you are in is precisely to face whatever it is which is causing your suffering. You, you want to be able to awaken the astral plane. You want to have, you want to feel like you're advancing. You want to have spiritual experiences. Who says the spiritual path is about any of that? Is about wanting any of that? The word want has no place on the path. All of that, the desire for powers, the desire for experiences, the desire for advancement, the desire for initiations, the desire for desire, 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 desire that's all antithetical to the path. So maybe... 
the situation that you are in is precisely where you need to be and the suffering that you're feeling is precisely drawing your attention to the impatience that you have and the disappointment and the frustration that you're feeling. But what's causing the frustration? What's causing the impatience? The fact that you're not progressing? How do you know you're not progressing? You just think you're not progressing. Something is telling you that you're not progressing. And it's making you frustrated. But we have a three-hour live stream dedicated to this very issue, episode 28, called Waiting in the Dark. And we just shared with you this, this, um, well, we share it here. For you and anyone else in the chat who's, uh, and this is a common complaint, a common experience that many people face. The frustration, the feeling stuck, the feeling trapped, the feeling of no progress. So there's the link to the how to endure suffering. And we may as well put in a link to um, there we go. Here's the link to episode yeah, episode 28. Episode 28, Waiting in the Dark. Okay, on to the next question here, uh, or comment. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Uh, absolutely, Christian, and this was in reference to the comment we were making about mystic pride versus humility and how being humble gets you ahead of the game ironically genevieve says i feel anger not fear aha are you sure about that genevieve are you a fan of star wars if you ever watch the empire strikes back even Yoda knows, taught Luke, that fear turns to anger. Anger turns to hate. Fear is the great chameleon. Fear loves to hide behind the mask of other egos. And fear loves to morph into other egos. Fear is the great con artist and the great chameleon. If you have not read... Our dissertation on fear. Uh, we will link it here for you. And the reason we say that is because for many, many long years, I thought the same thing. I thought I had an anger management problem. I thought I had an anger management problem. 
there's a link for you uh, for uh, Face Your Fears, Many Faces. And remember, the reason why I had an anger management problem is because I live with a demon of fear, a full-blown demon, epilepsy of fear. So you can imagine the anger that I feel when I get gripped, by, when I get possessed by anger. It's not anger, it's rage. Seething, burning, flame-throwing, Dragon Ball Z erupting in flames, anime rage. And I spent years, years, anger management, blah, 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 this, that, the other way, nothing, zero, nothing worked, nothing helped. Because I was ignorant. I was being hypnotized. I was, I was coming at it intellectually. I was trying to figure it out. And I was following all the advice of the contemporary psychologists who, of course, like me, were looking at the surface level, looking at the obvious thing, the anger, the rage, what I was feeling. And then I became cognizant of what I was really living with and what I was really dealing with, facing and fighting and struggling and wrestling. And Irwin hits it on the head here, right? Fear is the primary emotion of anger. When you become angry, ask yourself, what is it that you are fearful of? It's not always all that simple, though. Fear is behind all desire to control outcomes. The desire to be in control of an outcome. So, every outcome... Every negative outcome or, how should we say, every undesirable outcome that we experience that causes us to react with anger, all that anger is fear because the desire to control outcomes is fear. So undesirable outcomes triggering anger, what's being triggered is our fear. But it's expressing itself as the desire to control outcomes. And because we haven't, we weren't able to control this outcome, this outcome was undesirable. It, did, it didn't unfold the way we wanted it to. The fear rages. The demon rages. Fear has a tantrum. And if, you, if you've ever watched someone having a panic attack and watched a child having a 
uh, a tantrum. And observe an adult having a panic attack, like a severe panic attack, and a child having a temper tantrum, which again, psychologists call it a temper tantrum. But you realize, even on the surface, you feel into it, you just have, need to be even remotely present and aware. The energy, the vibrations are identical, are identical. And contemporary psychology would call one a temper tantrum, a rage problem, an anger management issue. And they call the other one anxiety and fear and you know panic and so on and so forth. They call them two completely opposite things and they are exactly the same. Exactly the same. All you need to do is experience it, be present. Uh, Erwin, this comment, fear is the false ego. Uh, the way we use egos, discuss egos here is fear is an ego. There's no such thing as a false ego and there's no such thing as a true ego. Egos are what they are. Egos constitute the false self. The way ego is used by contemporary psychology is erroneous. It's, it's an inappropriate use of the term. The ego doesn't exist. The I is an amalgamation. It's an illusion. The false self is an illusion. And it's an illusion precisely because all of the egos all express themselves as an I. I want this. I don't want that. And as the egos play their game of king of the hill, as we've described very often, each one gets to the top, says, I want this. And they get it or they don't get it. And then they react. And either they get they get knocked off the top by a different ego who now wants something different, or they sit there and rage for a while, and they react for a while. I I I I I. But then another ego takes his place and goes I I I I I. And then another ego takes his place and goes I I I I. I want I don't want, right? But from our perspective, our consciousness, all we the all we hear are the voices in my head going I want this I don't want that I want this I don't want that. And one moment, you want the cheesecake, an extra slice of cheesecake, and then the, the second you finished eating it, and that ego of gluttony is satisfied, now all of a sudden, what pops into your head is, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that cheesecake. Summer's coming, I'm going to be fat, I'm going to look like shit in a swimsuit. So what's happening there? The, glut, the ego of gluttony got what it wanted for you to eat the second piece of cheesecake, and now it's been toppled over and replaced by the ego of pride, the ego of vanity, the ego of shame, which are all the same ego, by the way. That's now saying, they're now saying, oh, why did I eat that cheesecake? And that's what creates the false I and the voices in our head and all the crazy hamster running in the wheel machinations of our mind. So all egos constitute the false self. 
Okay. Uh, we don't want to miss anything here. So let's go back. Erwin uh, earlier said, ignorance is not bliss. All wars come for ignorance. Well, that's true. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is suffering. But, but, we, we should say that for those who don't know that they're ignorant, for those who are ignorant of their ignorance, then they are ignorant of their suffering. And those who are ignorant of their suffering, they suffer, but they don't know that they suffer. And that's where ignorance is bliss comes from. If you don't know you're suffering, if you don't feel the suffering you're suffering, if you're ignorant of that, then that, that's kind of like a state of bliss, right? Because you, bliss is, okay, it's, it's, we have to be flexible when we're talking about these idioms and whatnot. Uh, Sean said, false comforts and false security leads to a false identity. Absolutely. Because comfort and security are desires of ego. And again, it's fear. The only true comfort and true security that exists comes from the being, comes from our divine divine mother. And that's within us, that's inside. There's no external conceptual belief. There's nothing that we can identify with outside of ourselves that gives us genuine comfort and security. It can only give comfort and security to our egos, which is how we are interpreting your comment here, uh, Sean, these false comforts and false security leads to a false identity. We're just flipping it around and saying it's the false self, it's the false identity, which creates all these so-called comforts and security uh, uh, for, for us. But all of that's just feed, feeding fear. And yes, it's, that, it's all just for the false self. Uh, Christian said, ignore ant. Uh, we got that reference. Uh, Roy said, this fake self-love trend will have you 50 and alone because you decided to walk away from everything that, quote, didn't serve you instead of learning conflict resolution. You know, this is very true. Um, there is a, an epidemic of... Uh, we were about to say young women, but there's there's still young women. There's an epidemic of single women in their 40s and 50s. And even into their 60s. And they're never married. Um, because it was, the men were never good enough. They deserved better. I deserve better. I deserve better. I, 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 I. Now, is that to say that we should be with someone who's abusive. We should be with someone that we don't truly love. Well, you can't truly love anyone else if you are in love with yourself. It's exactly the opposite of what the New Age teaches. The New Age teaches you can't love anybody else if you don't love yourself. And to a degree, that's true. 
If you hate yourself, you're not going to be any good for anybody else. And you don't know how to love if you hate yourself. We said you have to love yourself, but within limits. The problem with the new age and problem with some with this modern self-help and modern psychology and this modern materialist, self-centered, narcissistic, uh, entitlement-oriented society we live in is that people love themselves altogether too much. And if you're spending all your time and all your effort and all your energy worried about me, 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 and what I'm getting out of it and what I need, my needs, my wants, my desires, and you're so worried about loving yourself to the fullest of your potential, the fullest of your ability, there's no room in your life for anybody else. You can't love anybody else and nobody is ever going to measure up because when you're because a narcissist envisions fantasizes about the ideal partner the ideal person the ideal lover and that no one no one can live up to such fantasies no one can live up to such expectations And how many times did, did uh, these individuals, men and women alike, it's not, it's, we're not trying to pin this on any particular gender, men and women alike, how many times were they with the one, but because the one was only a 9.5 out of 10 and not a 10, the narcissist focuses on the 0.5. That's wrong. The 0.5 that's missing. And they say, I deserve better. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle. And it's exactly as Roy says. They end up alone. Because there's never going to be a 10 out of 10. No one you meet is ever going to be perfect. There's no such thing. There's many, there, there could be a fair number of people who are perfect for you. They really are. You're perfect for you because you're not perfect either. And their imperfections and your imperfections are actually a perfect fit. But if you're a narcissist and you're holding out for better and you're not going to settle and, it's, and you have this fantasy image of yourself, this false self-image, and you're trying to match somebody to that, Barbie and Ken do not exist. They exist only in the realm of fantasy and in people's heads. And people who are looking for their counterpart, who are in that, they, they end up alone. They end up alone. Genevieve says, in my experience, lack of humility interfered, even stopped my spiritual connection. Um, we have this meme that talks about radical humility and there's a quote on it by uh, C.S. Lewis. And the uh, it's give us a moment here and we will uh, here it is.
Here it is. Oh, perfect. Okay, we'll move it there then. The quote here at the bottom says, For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Interesting, isn't it? Serendipitous, is it not? When you read that in the context of what we were just speaking about in terms of narcissism and in terms of too much self-love and people being alone, because pride eats up the very possibility of love or contentment. Contentment means satisfaction. Contentment means precisely to settle, to be settled, to be settled in oneself and to be settled with the partner that one has. And of course, common sense, because common sense tells us no one's ever going to live up to your ridiculous narcissistic fantasies about yourself and what you deserve. Ridiculous. So yes, humility, uh, a lack of humility, absolutely retards spiritual connection, spiritual advancement. Erwin, we said that earlier. Okay, we covered that. Um, Andrew, it is our duty to help the ignorant to see divine truths when the result is usually alienating yourself or exposing yourself to anger in extreme cases. This is appropriate that we're going to get into this now. This is the, the next part of tonight's live stream is talking about this. So let's just get down to the bottom here. We're going to skip over these because we don't know what these are supposed to be, what they mean, and we think it's probably just someone spamming the uh, chat. Okay, so Dylan Whiting, it's about complementing the divine plan and Earth's mission is what I gather from today's topic. This topic on ignorance and cognitive dissonance complementing the divine plan and earth's mission all of us need to wor worry about our earth's mission our body our self and microcosm we are all here to do something that's what we need to focus on. The earth is going to take care of itself, especially in the Kali Yuga. As for complementing the divine plan, that, that's, that is the divine plan for us. And when you say more so than the self, well, there's the self, little case s, and then there is the self, uppercase s meaning the being, our innermost. So 
to be aligned with our higher self more uh, specifically to be in service of our higher self is to be aligned with that divine plan So, ah, this is ridiculous. So let us throw this up, and um, we've shared this before as well. I'll put it up like this, okay? Tonight's live stream is about what we just put on this meme. To know yourself, to be humble, and to open yourself to the knowledge and truth about what you really are and whom you serve and their divine will. In other words, the divine plan involves many, 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 many souls, not just you. But just like in a factory, just like on a football team or any sports team or any endeavor, any theatrical production, uh, remember from Wednesday, we talked about the symphony orchestra. Every musician plays their part. Now, does the musician worry about the symphony? Does the, does the musician playing the violin or the viola or the cello or the whatever, the triangle, what should they be focused on? Truly. They're focused on what they're doing. They're focused on their role, their part. And they're watching the conductor. And the conductor will shoot them a look or a gesture or a nod or, or all the myriad ways in which conductors communicate with the musicians during a performance. We have our own innermost conductor. But perhaps the better way to weave this analogy into tonight's live stream is to say that the musician has the notes, the score in front of them with their part highlighted. They know their part of the symphony. It's there. It's, being, it's spelled out for them. They have to follow the score. And that score was written by God, essentially, 
if we're talking about Beethoven, if we're talking about Mozart, Wagner, the great classical musicians, great masters of music. Beethoven is the master of music for this planet. And his music was divinely inspired. So really, the notes on the page are the divine plan. But the musician only has those notes on the page relevant to them. And all the different musicians all have different scores. They're different parts. And then each of them has to play according to the conductor. And even though in a symphony there's only one conductor, we have to try to use our imagination and recognize that in the world, right, we all, each of us, have our own innermost conductor. But that conductor is an essence, is a seed, an individuated spark of the whole. So really, we all have one piece of the divine conductor. And we are playing our little part in the divine symphony, the divine plan. But we cannot do that if we are ignorant, and we cannot do that if we are hypnotized. And we cannot do that if we, unless we are humble. We cannot do that if we are proud. Because we will be in our heads, and we will be in our self, our false self, we'll be in our eye, and we won't have the humility to receive the direction of our innermost conductor. And we will and we will be tempted to go off script, to go off of the notes on the page and start riffing and start jazzing and start improvising and just start following and doing whatever the hell we want. And then the harmony collapses. So in that sense, in that way, Yes, tonight's, tonight's live stream is about the divine plan. But we don't arrive there by going there. We arrive there by, as, as, as a player in the symphony does, by focusing on our part. And by humbling ourselves to the direction of the, of the conductor and the notes of the composer. And we recognize all the others around us all play their parts. Um, we have a comment here written in Spanish that uh, we cannot read because we don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Um, gee, just for fun. Well, anyway, so, but we put it up there anyway, so we shared it. Um, let's go back to Andy's comment here. I'm sorry, not Andy. Pardon, pardon us. To Andrew's comment where he spoke about it is our duty to help the ignorant to see divine truths when the result is usually alienating yourself or exposing yourself to anger in extreme cases. So now, if 
we feel comfortable that we've addressed how to handle ignorance and cognitive dissonance and hypnosis within ourselves. The next level that we experience this with is the, the uh, hypnosis and ignorance of others. The ignorance and the cognitive dissonance of others. And it is a long-held axiom, a universal truth, a tradition stretching all the way back into antiquity that it is the responsibility of all those in possession of truth to lift others up out of, out of ignorance, out of darkness. That how we deal with ignorance, how we handle ignorance is to illuminate to bring light to darkness. And there is a wonderful, wonderful little film by Ridley Scott early in his career with a very, very young Tom Cruise and a very, very on point Tim Curry playing the role of darkness. And the film is called Legend. And those words are spoken in the film. We are going to bring light to darkness. And it is a wonderful, wonderful fairy tale, modern fairy tale, told in a in not an altogether dead serious way, there's a, there's a there's a lightness, there's a light-hearted quality to it, a sort of Midsummer Night's Dream quality to it, quality to it. But of course, we're talking about fairies and unicorns and sprites and and centaurs and whatnot. But to bring light to darkness, to, to raise those who are ignorant up out of the shadows. It is our duty. It is our responsibility. But here, we were waiting for somebody <laughs> to make this point. Because we all know what Genevieve is saying here. Some people have no interest to receive some truth sharing to in receiving some truth sharing or exchanging ideas of course not of course they don't because they suffer from cognitive dissonance they think they know everything or they are comfortable with what they think they know they're comfortable in their beliefs they don't want their they don't want their beliefs to be challenged Here is a meme that we created long ago now, it seems. 
seems forever ago that we created this meme. And while this meme was created in light of the new age and comparing the new age to those who are religious and to those who are atheists and to show how all three of them function from the same place and that is the their desire for comfort and how their beliefs bring them comfort and that they will not they are not comfortable changing their beliefs they're not comfortable having their beliefs challenged unless certain criteria are met and that criteria must be that they maintain their comfort so let's express this in the following way um i'm okay with getting out of bed and going to work so long as i can stay in my pajamas and under the covers that's the effect of cognitive dissonance so now you're trying to explain or express to someone the importance of getting up out of bed and going to work or perhaps getting up out of bed because the house is on fire and their response to that is yeah but i'm so comfortable here in bed why would i want to get up, get up out of bed i'm so comfortable here so yeah okay i'll go to work yeah okay i'll go and do this thing i'll leave the house sure no problem but i'm taking i'm taking the comforter and my pajamas with me that's cognitive dissonance that's a lot of people that's that's how they don't want to abandon they don't want to let go their attachments to the comfort and security of their beliefs and as a result we may be responsible to help them out of their ignorance but the reality is everyone has free will and we cannot violate that we can we have we must respect everyone's right to choose so if people choose to remain ignorant if they choose their comfort and security if they choose to remain possessed by fear and they choose the hypnosis of their cognitive dissonance and the hypnosis that 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 eases their suffering and pain that they feel when their beliefs are are threatened well then we've all been in the situation where sooner or later in the discourse maybe it's in a thread a chat or whatever an argument or 
you know, these are these these very often degenerate into um, uh, uncivil discourses, especially on Facebook. And while Twitter is the worst, we don't go on Twitter. I've said that many, many, many times. We don't. We we are not on Twitter. We have accounts and stuff. We occasionally post, but we do not engage anyone on Twitter because Twitter is not a reasonable platform for reasonable people to have reasonable discourse. What is it? 140 characters. You cannot have a conversation with someone in that in that format. You, it's it's sound bites. It's all completely ego reaction. It's just it's just insults and insults and reactions and so on and so forth. because you can't do much more in 140. And it, so you have to be very short and very blunt. <clears throat> and of course, that's the worst approach at times when you're dealing with someone who's suffering from cognitive dissonance because to be short and punchy and state the facts in that way to them is like receiving a bullet to the head. It's it's just it's so unnerving to them, and their their ego reacts with immediately with oh that's just your ego talking or their ego will will react with um, oh you're just being arrogant or you think you know it all or or how do you or you, where are your sources for that back that up with something and they have a million different excuses why they shouldn't accept the truth. And Irwin points out that's why growth and comfort cannot coexist. And we've expressed this recently as well uh, on Wednesday when we were talking about the paradox of opposition and obstruction and obstacles and baffling. Life is baffling. And we explained precisely what baffles are. And the relationship between water and baffles and how baffles create structured energized living water water grows water becomes more powerful more capable it becomes better water only if it's exposed to baffles so these people, when they're they are confronted with new information that baffles them, do they embrace the baffling? No, they resist it, they react to it. They literally want to be still stagnant water becoming ever more putrefied and dead water. Still dead water, motionless, de-energized, unstructured, but comfy. <laughs> Excuse me. So, <clears throat> what kind of an animal do you think of? When you think of an animal that just sits and wallows in the muck, in the slime, in the sludge, in the pond scum, right? That's a swine. That's a hog. Oh, thank you, Erwin. <laughs> thank you. 
But that's a hog. That's swine, right? Swine wallow in in their own feces and and in their mud in 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 the in the sludge in the slime. That's a swine. That's a hog. And eventually, there's really nothing we can do when faced with the ignorance of others and their the vehement and sometimes aggressive and even violent and and really nasty cognitive dissonance of these people who feel like mentally they've been backed into a corner and they feel their the 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 the, the foundations crumbling beneath their feet and for them it becomes an existential threat their sense of self their sense of being all of a sudden is under threat well they they lash out and uh and they can be very 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 nasty indeed and listen you have to just eventually just cut your losses and say listen I, you know you be and then you it, it clicks right it'll come to you the words will come to you almost as if by magic okay and you'll 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 nod your head and you say okay i get it i get it do not cast pearls before swine every argument you've ever had with someone where you were trying to illuminate them trying to bring them up out of the darkness right trying to get them out of the muck trying to re-energize and revitalize them. But to do that, you have to be baffling to them. What you present to them has to be baffling because that's how water transforms itself from being dead, stagnant water into becoming energized, living, structured water through baffling. So the new information is baffling. But if they don't seize the day, if they don't rise to the challenge, if they don't accept and recognize, hey, this is baffling, but this is this is also interesting. This is exciting. This is renewing. This is revitalizing. This is energizing what you're telling me. It's baffling. I don't get it. And it's and it's and it's breaking apart all my conditioned beliefs, but I don't care. I'm 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 really leaning into this. You've really shown me something or you've really intrigued me or you really, you know, because you've seen that. You've seen people react positively to the truth. But if they don't do that, if they double down on their beliefs and they go on the offensive because the best defense is a good offense, they start getting nasty and everything else and so on. They're just resisting, 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 resisting. Eventually, eventually, from your intuition, you will receive in very strong terms, very clear as day, you and you will go, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. And you'll 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 almost answer that way to your innermost, to your being. And you'll say, Okay, I get it. Don't cast pearls before swine. Fine. And then you'll type, you know what? Best of luck to you. And then that's it. And then you'll walk away. You'll walk away from the argument. You walk away from the the uh and you just wash your hands of the situation and move on. 
we must always realize that more often than not, this is where you will end up. There's many, many different ways to approach and to feel out and you, we, we really need to follow our intuition. But more often than not, we all know this. We have family members, loved ones, former friends who we could not and cannot and will never reach. And we know it is complete and total futility and frankly, stupidity on our part to try. That's why those words are written in scripture. Do not cast pearls before swine. Eventually, we will end up there. And we have to accept. Everybody has free will and people have the ability and free will to choose. And they do. And you know they do. We all know they do because we've seen it time and time and time and time again. Across the board. And it's not just spirituality. It's not just religious stuff. Right? Look at politics. Look at sports. For goodness sake. Look at any... Look at guys in a bar talking about sports teams or or brands of cars or brands of beer or brands of cigarettes it doesn't matter people can argue over anything and they can dig themselves in their attachments and their identification to anything have you ever listened to nerds Talk about Star Wars or Star Trek or the, or the, or the latest abomination of, uh, of, of the Marvel Universe, of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just watch a couple of those live streams on, the, uh, on YouTube of nerds talking about their beloved franchise being, being uh, 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 destroyed or a film which you know or and or arguing with one another about something about anything related to nerd to related to fandom or related to nerddom or whatever you want to call it they can spend literally hours arguing over a comic book comic books whatever now we explain why that is in our skywalker apocalypse video but the irony is, is they don't even know what they're arguing. They're ignorant of what they're arguing about, of why they're so passionate about what they love. They're ignorant of that. And at the end of the day, if someone is ignorant of their ignorance, it is very, very difficult to enlighten them. If someone thinks, if so, for example, we, we created that Skywalker apocalypse video and we have different blog articles and we've created memes using Iron Man and we've referenced video games and 
modern contemporary mythology. The symbols and allegories of our time, of our day, that are teaching timeless universal truths, that are the reason why people are so passionate about these properties. Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, uh, Batman, it go, uh, Superman, it goes on and on. But they're all engaged in idolatry. They're all mesmerized on the surface level, on the exoteric level. But in their heart, they're connecting on the esoteric level to the, to the divinely inspired symbols and allegories that are conveying timeless universal truths. And, and comic books and comic book heroes and superheroes and, and, and Star Wars and these characters, they're all archetypal, powerful archetypes. But they're expressing these timeless universal truths that their heart connects to, that they are in love with the truth. But remember what we said earlier about reading scripture and everything with your head. If you read comic books, if you watch movies and everything just with your head, and you don't transform the impressions, you don't feed your soul with those properties, you just feed your ego mind. The ego mind puts its layers and layers and layers and layers and layers, right? over the kernel of truth, which you love, which you feel in your heart that you love. But now you have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of bullshit for you to identify with and get attached to. And for you to become an expert on, right? An expert on the lightsaber construction for example, or an expert or, or a, uh, a collector of mint inbox action figures or, or a collector and a, a avid reader of all the expanded, extended universe of Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever. Or you literally have thousands of comic books and you, you, you dub yourself an expert. But then someone like ourselves come along and say, well, you know, all these archetypes and you know all these stories and you know all these properties that you're so in love with, you know what this actually means, don't you? You know what it's actually trying to tell you, don't you? Do you think that we have been able to reach any of them? That any of those fans, that any of those nerds and the people in the fandom, do you think that we can reach any of them? That we can convince any of them, even with our two and a half hour Skywalker Apocalypse video, that Star Wars is a religion? It is a modern day mythology? Do you think any of you could go into Joel Olstein's ministry of born-again Christians in his megachurch of 80,000? Do you think any of you could go in there and begin explaining 
to anybody and any of those 80,000 people and convince them of the Gnostic origins of Christianity and what the Christ actually symbolizes and allegorizes and what the cross really means? Do you think you would be successful? Do you think you could go to a Muslim country and start explaining to a, a Shiite or a Sunni what Islam is about? How far do you think that's going to get you? Identification and attachment, okay? In religion, we call it idolatry, and we call it fanaticism and dogmatism. People who are locked into that modality are ignorant of their ignorance. It is, it is, no matter how well-intentioned we are, no matter how skillful we are, no matter how much time, energy, effort, expertise, mastery, artistry, we put into it. It is all but impossible to break individuals out of that trap. It's funny that Michael Chase brings up the uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect because we actually commented on this in a, uh, a thread recently on Facebook and we got we got shredded because we said, "Oh, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh yeah, this is this perfectly uh, this is a perfect terminology expressing a materialist scientist and their a dogmatic view of, uh, of reality. And we were shredded. It's I, I, uh, ironic, but there it is. Let's uh, follow up with another, uh, another comment that Mike Michael left us. I've noticed that most react with cognitive dissonance also respond with the attempted gaslighting of your sanity while challenging their beliefs or personal opinions. Well, of course, as we said, the best defense is a good offense. And the toxic individual, the passive-aggressive individual, is a narcissist. And what they are going to do, by what they're trying to do by gaslighting you, you see, what they want to do is discredit you. They want to discredit and just, they want to have a reason why they should not listen to you. So what's the easiest way to create the emotional and psychological reason to, to shut someone out and shut someone down? Make them lose their temper. Make them lose their shit. Because if you lose your temper and you lose your shit and you start, you know, you, you start showing your frustration, you start expressing, aha, see, he's just a lunatic. I don't have to listen to what you have to say. You're just a, you're just a rambling lunatic. Look, listen to yourself. Look at you. You want me to listen to you? That's classic passive aggressive behavior. The, the, the ignorant person, the one suffering from cognitive dissonance, 
is suffering because they're being presented with information which is which is contradictory and threatening their comfort and security but that information is credible it's a, it's a formidable attack so they have to weaken the attack they have to they have to weaken the force behind that attack they have to discredit it so again you've heard the expression right we're, we're ad hominem right that means of the person so it's 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 a personal attack and but the passive aggressive person is passive aggressive they don't want to they don't want to appear as the bad person as the aggressor so as exactly as mike michael uh, expressed they gaslight you they 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 plant a toxic landmine for you to step on that causes you to blow up and lose your shit and then they can say aha you see you're just a rambling lunatic i don't have to listen to you and now they can they can rest easy in the comfort and security that no matter how formidable that argument was it came from a rambling lunatic and i don't have to listen to him i can completely discredit and i can cancel them and everything they ever said because you know that you know, that's what cancel culture is all about by the way that the social justice warriors and the postmodernists will wait for somebody to commit some kind of egregious politically inc incorrect social faux pas or whatever they will they will they will await some sort of uh um horrendous sin to be committed by someone and then as soon as that goes public then they can cancel that individual and all of their work and everything they have to say immediately becomes irrelevant why because that person committed one crime one act of whatever yes exactly gen v that's exactly the 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 neo-marxists the postmodernists, the social justice warriors the the intersectionalists the identity politics you see we actually uh wrote an entire article related to this very topic and uh we share it with you here and whoops okay there uh the article is called sjw's and the ultimate no-win scenario so here you see an entire article dedicated to what we're talking about right now dealing with cognitive dissonance and dealing with people that are not only resistant to the truth they're going to go on the active offensive to undermine you your credibility your character they're going to 
find ways to, yeah, undermine you. And if you want to know the origins of this strategy, read read the article that we just shared the uh, the link with you, because this article spells it all out and why you cannot win. You cannot win with these people. There is there it's a no win scenario because the stronger you make your argument the more they turn that around and turn you into the aggressor and the evil one and the and the and the more passive and softer and lighter and weaker you the more lightly you tread well the more they take advantage of that they see that as weakness and then they make you out and they paint you to be weak and and gutless and have not having a leg to stand on and whatever they do. So that you can't win. You just can't win. So again, don't cast pearls before swine. Pick your battles and know when to walk away. Do not allow, do not allow your self-righteousness to guide you on the matter of others and others ignorance and this is one of the very first articles that we wrote called to herd or not to herd the link is in the chat again Um, I didn't want to do that. What we're showing here in this image is well a master, right? But it's a he's a a strange sort of master Ronin shepherd type, and he has a familiar. He's got a he's got a dog with him. And the little quote beneath it is, um, the humble shepherd, the hidden master, the warrior monk, the noble samurai. How do we relate to them and to the archetype of the magician? And the title of the article is, To Herd or Not to Herd. How do we deal with the ignorance of others? How do we approach them? How do we handle them? We don't. Do you know why we don't? Because we are not qualified. You and I are not qualified. It's a, we're going to do a bit, a bit of spoilers here on this article. This image shows the shepherd's tools, the shepherd's crook, 
and the sheepdog, in this case, a border collie. We won't obviously go over everything, but we've shown you the uh, shepherd's, crook pra uh, shepherd's crook practice in the past and how the motion of prana up the spinal column over atop the crown chakra to the third eye and back down to the heart. That's the spinal column is the staff of the master. It is the shepherd's crook. That's a clue. That's one of the tools of the shepherd. But then who's the shepherd? Oh, wonderful. We, uh, there we go. I'll just click back. Here we see, uh, Pharaoh Tutankhamun, and we see in his right hand the flail, and in his left hand the shepherd's crook. A flail is a whip, the whip of willpower. If we think that we can educate and that we can confront the ignorant and that we can turn around their cognitive dissonance, when I say we, I mean I, you and I. If you and I try to do that, that's the equivalent of a border collie going and running at the herd of sheep and barking and biting and to watch a border collie working it's a it's a marvelous thing. And it's true that border collies have natural herding instincts. And even people who have border collies as pets will report that their border collie will, you know, will herd people at a party into a corner and stuff. But I mean, is that really preferable? Is that, is that really what you want at a party for the family dog to be herding all your guests into a corner? And the dog can't be comfortable unless everybody's herded into a corner. Any animal, any beast becomes noble when they're in service of their master. And a border collie who's listening for the calls of the shepherd and watching a uh, skilled shepherd making calls and whistles to his sheepdog and and then when watching the sheepdog reacting and and responding to those calls and doing their thing 
and incredibly hurting these flocks of these basically dumb animals. <laughs> Sheep are not the not the sharpest tools in the box. So in other words, when we say we want to bring light to darkness, yeah, it's our responsibility to bring light to darkness, to bring light to ignorance, truth to ignorance. But you and I are not qualified to do that. Just as the sheepdog left to his own devices might end up herding all the sheep into one corner of the pasture. Just to satisfy his own comfort and security that he needs to herd the sheep. In other words, the sheepdog will herd them all right. But maybe not to the right place. Maybe not in the right way. A sheepdog truly fulfills his purpose when he listens to his master and when he waits obediently, patiently for the calls of the shepherd. And he's always observant, attentive, sharp. Like the samurai blade in the right hand of a master. Our responsibility is to the light. And to bring darkness to the light, we cannot do that with our darkness in charge, with our ego, with our self-righteousness, that I'm going to set him straight, that I'm going to tell him what's what, that I'm going to put her in her place, that I'm going to tell this stupid new ager what it's all about, that I am going to bring light to darkness. No, I am going to get myself out of the way of the light. I'm going to listen and I'm going to be attentive. I'm going to be, pay attention. I'm going to be humble. And I am going to allow the light to come through me, through my voice, through my fingertips, if I'm typing in a thread through some image, through some meme that I'm sharing, or some video that we made. I'm just a, I am just a sheepdog. And if the shepherd says, don't cast pearls before swine, if the shepherd says, this is a lost cause, if the shepherd says, okay, we've done all we can here, now it's time to walk away. The sheepdog obeys his master. 
if the if the master samurai decides that he is going to put his sword that he's going to sheathe his sword then the sword goes into the sheath and that's that and the master picks up his staff and walks away we must recognize our place in the order of things remember what we that's why at the beginning we cannot have this discussion we cannot have this conversation about how to handle ignorance and cognitive dissonance in others if we don't first acknowledge and comprehend the absolute essential foundation of humility of ignorance and hypnosis within ourself and how to handle that within ourselves if we do if we do not have humility we cannot help anyone because we will only we will be filtering the light through our own darkness through our own mystic pride through our own self-righteousness and we will we will not be helping anybody we'll be making ourselves feel real damn good we'll be satisfying some desire but we won't truly be helping anyone. We are going to scroll back here because there were a few questions which were a little possibly off topic. So but but it's time for us to 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 uh, address them. How do you know this is uh We're going to take a stab at this. Is that Eiling Joy or Aisling Joy? Anyway, if we we apologize if we butchered your name. Um, but the question is, how do you know if your expectations are too high? For example, being in a relationship where you feel like the relationship is out of balance, where you give more to the relationship and the other person is completely checked out and refuses to talk about the issues in the relationship. I worry that I might have given up too early on my marriage. So this is going back earlier to the where the uh, live stream went in the direction of narcissists and too much self-love and having too high expectations and and demanding more and not settling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so Eisling took this from her. To her own experience and she's expressing second guessing and perhaps worrying that she gave up on her gave up on her marriage too soon They say hindsight is 2020, but there's another phenomenon uh, of the ego mind where a little niggling doubt is absconded by the ego they start weaving 
this elaborate story around that doubt. And as the time goes on, that like a snowball or like a ball of yarn that's slowly getting, that's growing and growing and growing and snowballing and snowballing until eventually, who knows, decades later, you wake up one day having a panic attack because, oh my God, he was the one and I threw him away. So we must be cognizant of that and be aware of that. Not to let that happen. Not to allow our, our, our mind to get carried away or whatever emotional attachments or fears that we may have that we might have made a mistake letting someone go. From your brief description, it certainly doesn't strike us as being, quote, the perfect matrimony from a spiritual perspective. And if you are on this path and you are with someone like that, um, are, we are fairly confident in saying that if you were to arrive at the junction of practicing white tantra, sexual alchemy, where we literally create love with our spouse, literally, not figuratively and not the Hallmark greeting card version of it, but metaphysically, scientifically create love, the solar bodies, and transmute the sexual force. This is an activity where having a blasé, indifferent, checked out partner is not going to cut the mustard. It's, this is not a, and So, this is maybe something that if you wanted to discuss further, we could do so in a private chat. We cannot really say more than what we've already said on this matter. You know in your heart whether you made the right decision or not. This worry that you might have made the wrong decision is a clue. Because worry is fear. And worry doesn't come from your heart, doesn't come from your innermost. Your intuition doesn't worry. If there's danger, your intuition will warn you of danger. It'll tell you, but it won't worry about the danger. You only start worrying after you receive a warning from your intuition saying, oh my God, I think I'm in danger. Then you start to worry about the danger. But the, the intuition, your innermost being doesn't worry. Your divine mother doesn't worry. We worry. You worry. So that's your clue. If you're worrying about something, 
you have to get beneath the worry, behind the worry, or in front of the worry. You got to get the worry out of the situation. Stop worrying. Meditate. Or, if you'd like, have a private chat with us on Facebook. We'll ask you a few questions. And the questions we will ask you will be designed for you to have to type the answer. And as you are typing the answer, you, you will we'll tell you to just reread what you just wrote. And you'll reread it and you go, oh my God, there it is. Because you know, you know the, the, the truth. Okay, Diana says, uh, be patient for us who do not speak English. We try too hard to be in this path with another language and the language of path is the heart love. Okay, so Diana said earlier, gracias definitivamente todo es ser pacientes y trabajar. So I guess maybe you used... Um, you use Google Translate or something to translate that for us for English. Thank you. But, Diana, um, are you are you aware that Master Samael Anbayor lived in Mexico and he lived in Colombia and, and he traveled all over South and Central America and all of his original teachings, all of his original books were published in Spanish and all of his lectures were in Spanish and you can find all of his work in Spanish. Um, we appreciate you being here and joining our live stream, but um, go on the internet and look for uh, Samael Anmayor uh, and the books of Samael Anmayor. Um, and you can find es an Espanol. Um, that's, all, that's all we can say. So... Um, yeah, and for so for a, a native Spanish speaker uh, studying Gnosis in this time, in this era, is a beautiful thing because you get to read the words of the avatar of Aquarius, Master Samuel Bayor, in the language he spoke them in. So you don't have to deal with any translations. We English speakers are reading translations of his words. And, well, and a lot gets lost in the translation. We know that. I mean, just a lot of it does just doesn't, when it translates into English, it's, it's sometimes it just feels and sounds a little off. We think that has a lot to do with the, the Latin language and the Latin, mm, the fire, the Latin, the energy, the intonation, and the, the word is not coming to us, but not personality. It's not the right word. It's the, the it's just like, for example, for example, we, a lot of people uh, react uh, negatively to uh, our uh, intonation and our energy and our outspokenness and our extroverted nature but see we were raised hungarian and culturally hungarians are very fiery people like like spanish like italians we we talk with our hands we're intense we're loud we like to argue we like to to 
to, to you know, and we we we're touchy feely. We're 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 very intense. And even Master Samael said, uh, a, "There's nothing more beautiful than a life intensely lived." And we connect very strongly with other cultures that have that vivacity, that have that that voluptuousness to it. So, for example, we don't get a, we don't seem to get along very well with with Nordic people and people who are colder and of a colder temperament, you know, Northern German. We love Bavaria. We get along with Bavarians, but you go to Northern Germany and you go to, you go to Stuttgart and whatever, and it's, it's, it's all very cold and it's all very different. Right. So. Yeah. So thanks Gen V for that link. We just threw that up there. Uh, so, so um, Diane, uh, it's a very, um, wonderful thing to do for you, Diana, that, uh, that you speak Spanish fluently because you can get all of the Samael's books in PDF form. And there's the link that, uh, Jen just shared with you. So we hope you're able to take care, uh, uh take advantage of that. Aisling says, thank you so very much. Your response was beyond helpful. Well, you're welcome. We're glad we could help. We have a few minutes left. Um, coming back momentarily. It is uncanny, is it not, that no matter what topic we discuss and any particular stream, invariably we end up back at that tried, tested, and true universal axiom, know yourself. Know your innermost master, your true self. Recognize that you are a vessel, a vehicle, a servant, a tool. of your innermost being and not just recognize that but begin living that way you are an iron man suit and the iron man suit has an artificial intelligence called Jarvis. That artificial intelligence is your personality. And it's onboard memory is your mind and your conditioned beliefs, how you were, how you were programmed, how Jarvis was programmed. Now Jarvis 
in the Iron Man movies, obviously, was programmed by Tony Stark. And is programmed to serve Tony Stark. That's why Iron Man is a symbol of a true human being. Jarvis is not ignorant. Jarvis is not hypnotized. In other words, Jarvis is not Ultron. Ultron is just an Iron Man suit that gets hypnotized by the Tesseract and starts pursuing his own desires. And Ultron is going to save the world. If you remember from the movie, Ultron is going to solve the world's problems and he's going to save the planet. How? By making humanity extinct. That's, and that is mechanical nature's solution. That is actually part of what's happening right now. That's mechanical nature has to shed itself of this humanity. It has to happen. That's the Kali Yuga. And we've talked about that. But the point for us on an individual basis is we have to recognize the relationship between these two symbols, these two these this these two allegorical archetypes. And Michael puts it very succinctly and beautifully. We must work on making the personality more passive. And the essence more active. We like to say getting out of the way of ourselves. But the other way we expressed it in our article on to herd or not to herd. Simply being attentive. Like a good sheepdog. Paying attention. Waiting for the commands, for the calls of the shepherd. Or Lumiere, as we threw up earlier onto the screen, Lumiere, who beautifully expresses, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He is not whole without a soul to wait upon. You and I are nothing. We are empty. We are just an empty shell without our innermost being, without our essence. We're not whole without a soul to wait upon, to serve. To serve. Because a servant is ennobled by the Lord and Lady 
of the house. And the Lord and Lady of the house serve the King of Kings, the Cosmic Christ. Ironically, that's where this whole nobility nonsense that exists on the planet, because as above, so below, and just as the White Lodge has all of its hierarchies and its structure and its organization, so too the Black Lodge mim mimics that in the inverse. So, of course, you have kings and nobility and lords and ladies and all that stuff as people here on earth pretending to be gods and wanting to live like, you know, trying to live like gods, essentially, on the material plane, materialistically, doing it in the, in the inverse. But for us, we are a servant, and our innermost Lord and Lady, our essence and our Divine Mother, are the Lord and Lady of our land, of our castle, of our temple. And they serve the king, the pharaoh. And it happens to be the king of kings, the cosmic Christ, the being of our being. So in the grand scheme of things, we're the least significant in the hierarchy. We are a 3D spacesuit so that our essence, our innermost being, can be here now in 3D space. So, let him. When you shift the responsibility away from yourself, and, and give it back to whom it belongs, and the responsibility shifts within you from thinking I'm doing it and I need to do it. You shift to my responsibility is to my innermost being, to my innermost essence, my individuated essence of the Christ, of the Logos, who in turn, responsibility is to the Logos. Well, then now you become aligned with that divine plan. And now that light can shine through you and you can truly bring light to darkness. You can truly bring information, truth, and enlightenment to those who are ignorant. And most importantly, most importantly, we can tell you with absolute certainty, there is no way your ego mind, there's no, no way you are going to get through to anyone who's suffering from cognitive dissonance or is being passive aggressive and narcissistic and gaslighting and all that, putting up all that resistance. 
There's no way you are ever going to get through to them. But, but there's a chance, a slim chance, but a chance because miracles do happen. And remember, you don't have this power, but your innermost, your essence is an individuated essence of the Logos, who is the perfect multiple unity, which means the person who's gaslighting, the person who's resisting, the person who's throwing up shade and attacking you and doing all the things because of their cognitive dissonance, because they're desperate to preserve the comfort and security of their beliefs, and you've shaken those beliefs, and now they're they're, they're, they just want you to go away. Remember, that ignorant person, like you, like me, that ignorant person also has an innermost being. At the heart of that individual, in the Adam Noose, is the key And their innermost essence is an individuated essence of the Logos, the perfect multiple unity. And your innermost essence is an individuated spark of that same unity. So, if there's any hope of reaching that person, it's through the back door, as it were. It's going to be an inside job. You were attracted into their life. Who attracted you? If not their Divine Mother. And what if, despite all the superficial resistance, despite all the superficial arguing and 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 uh, uh, gaslighting and everything else that may be going on on the surface, what if beneath the surface, your monad and their monad are embracing? And your monad and their monad are doing everything in their power to try to get you two here on the surface to actually see eye to eye somehow to find some common ground on which to make a connection on which to break down and break through all those layers of resistance it's something to meditate on it's something to be aware of because in that humility from that position also comes compassion and also comes love. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't be motivated to be severe with that person because love is severity and mercy. You might have to be heavy-handed, but at least the heavy-handedness if it's coming from your being, 
It's because that individual's divine mother has asked for it and said, listen, be tough with this person. You got to tell it like it is. Don't back down. Don't, uh, don't pussyfoot around the issues. And we've shared this in the past as well with you all. How when we first began doing our work and writing our blogs and going on Facebook and, and confronting people with the truth, for a long time, we, we had a lot of self-doubt and we, we had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of uh, anxiety and, and, and worry that maybe, maybe it was all ego. Maybe it was, I was, you know, I even wrote the article on, on to hurt or not to hurt basically for myself to remind myself who, that I'm just a sheepdog. I'm just, you know, I'm like the, the inner shepherd has to do all the work. And why is it always tough love? It's, it's like 90% of the time it's tough love out there on Facebook, on social media, etc. Why is it always tough love? Where's this kindness? Where's this compassion? Where's this, where's this soft-spoken, mild-mannered, you know, um, uh, stereotypical, you know, guru figure type? Where's that? Like, why, why is it always, you know, why is it always tough love? And then we were shown... through the experience of our taking care of our mother during her, her, uh, her cancer. Which we wrote about in this article. which is a tribute both to our Divine Mother and our Birth Mother. Over the course of taking care of our mother and her cancer, nothing, absolutely nothing flowed out of us. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for the entire duration of her cancer, over three months. It was, it was pure, unconditional compassion, loving kindness and compassion. 100% of the time, 24-7. There wasn't a single moment of tough love for our mother who was in terrible pain and suffering in the last two months. And mental anguish and emotional and spiritual crisis, and and we, we 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 write about it anyway, in the in the in the blog. And our divine mother and our mother, terrestrial mother, birth mother, gave us the most lifted, 
the veil of hypnosis and lifted the veil of ignorance that had been shrouding us for years. This worry, this anxiety that 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 where where was where was the loving compassion? Where was the kindness? Do you know how many people have attacked us and gaslit us on Facebook? Saying, where's the kindness? You have to be kind. You have to be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. And we were giving them tough love because that's what they needed. What they wanted was the soft-spoken, mild-mannered, stereotypical, feel-good rainbows and unicorns guru. But what they were getting was what they needed to hear, the tough love. But they didn't want tough love. They wanted what made them feel good. They wanted to be stroked gently and, and they wanted to be massaged and caressed and pampered and bubble and taken care of like bub, the bubble wrap children that they were being, uh, being raised. The, the, the gentle snowflakes, the delicate snowflakes that they are. We were, we were told. So we really, we, we started getting, a, I started getting a complex about this. Really, honestly. And then my mother fell ill. And nothing, absolutely nothing poured out of me. But unlimited unconditional kindness and compassion not a hard word or a or a tough sentiment came out of me for the entire duration of my mother's illness and that was my mother's greatest gift and sacrifice to me she is the one who taught me how to love it was my mother my birth mother she taught me unconditional love and she sacrificed her life for me my divine mother orchestrated it to lift the veil of ignorance so that so that i would know so that i could be confident and relax and be at peace that when it's called for when the kindness and the compassion and the light touch and the delicate touch is really truly needed and called for and deserved it flows through us uninhibited and without without any obstruction. So, again, we just bring it back always. Always comes back to knowing yourself, making that connection, and 
as Michael says, getting your personality, getting yourself out of the way and allowing more and more of your essence to work through you. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than a life intensely lived. And there is no life more intense than the life of bringing the light of Christ into the world. Your innermost intimate Christ. And then, if you are here on the path of the Bodhisattva, the actual Christ. But that's a lecture, a, dis a topic, a discussion for another day. We have reached the three-hour mark, my friends. At this time, if anyone has any more comments or questions, feel free to ask them. We, there's no particular reason why we have to cut it off. But at three hours on a Friday night, perhaps we've all had enough of... Uh, Ignorance and cognitive dissonance for one evening. Um, but if you have any more questions, feel free to ask. Um, if not, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for having the patience and the endurance to sit through another three-hour live stream. As we've often said, these are not exactly planned. They're certainly not scripted. Uh, you're welcome, Michael, of course, and we're so happy to see you, Michael. It really warms our heart that you took the time to spend with us, especially on a Friday. Um, especially with the circumstances that have been, uh, uh playing out. We know that, that, uh, many of us are probably not in the mood, uh, with what world events and lockdowns and, and, and plagues and how all the different realities around those may be affecting us in different ways like for example our experience yesterday you know being kept out of a medical facility because we we have not injected ourselves with a bioweapon um you're welcome erwin thank you for joining us and um benjamin says have a wonderful weekend thank you again generously sharing your wisdom you're more than welcome. Again, you're always welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you for being here. Aisling, I, I, we really hope we're not butchering your name there. Aisling, <laughs> uh, Aisling. Um, you're, you're very welcome. And um, good night. Good night. Good night. Take care. All of you have a wonderful weekend, and uh, as always, inverential peace. Good night. Oops.